Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Matt D. Fothery, Lee Boyd, and Rob Beller. Hey, podcast world. Welcome to a first ever podcast of this kind that we've ever done. First one ever. Out of 220, it's our first one ever? Ever. What in the world is this? Is it possible that we there's something we haven't done? I didn't think so. I, I didn't, didn't think so. I, I thought we've done everything that could be done. A lot of podcasts out there. What, what in the world are, are you referring to? I'm referring to, I'm, I'm, I'm not referring to, this is the first podcast since I came back from vacation. But it is. Because you were gone a long time, not long time, not yet seven days, a whole a whole week. How dare I, you? I know that was that's the first time ever. I'm not <laughs> referring to the fact that it's your first time back. No, no. We're referring. We are referring to today. We have a a chief claims officer from a multi billion dollar PNC company on our podcast, on her last day of work. Today is her last day, the day that we're actually recording this? The morning we are actually, this is the morning of her last day of work. She's retiring. Oh my gosh. She is uh, an old friend, a um, leader in the industry, a highly respected member of the insurance community. Um, We have with us, are you ready for this? I'm ready. You're a drummer, aren't you? I am. You could do a drum roll, couldn't you? I, I could. I mean, yeah. I mean, how? I don't. No, no, that's not going to happen. That's all no. I got. No, please don't do that. I'm on pins and needles, though. Okay. We have Claudia Rodriguez. The Her title is Vice President of Claims, but her job is Chief Claims Officer, really, at Auto Club Enterprises. She's the the first woman who's occupied that position, uh, but more importantly, the most innovative, clever, uh, enlightened ex- executive who's certainly ever sit, sat in that chair. And after a very, very long career at Southern California AAA, she is going to retire. And today's her last day. And 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 guess what she did? She said, what did she do? oh, just, we'll just do it on my last day. That's fine. We're just going to pack in all the knowledge. She didn't want to leave any knowledge behind. So she wanted to make sure that she could do it on her last day. We're going to hit on two big topics. We're going to hit on the topic of Claudia Rodriguez and how you climb from, are you ready for this? I am. From a receptionist in a little claims office to the very top of an enormous claims organization, multi-state. Uh, multi-billion dollar claims org. How do you do that? Number one. And two, we're going to talk about one of her passions, and that's the the topic of social inflation and how how and 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 what's going on and what's it mean to in today's PNC world. If you are an executive in the insure tech industry, you do not want to miss this episode. One hundred percent agree. She is she is a wealth of knowledge. We're going to get to talk about 
um, some of the great projects and then really into that social inflation, all the information that she's learned, she really drops, uh, I assume, is it going to drop some great nuggets of wisdom about what that is and things that we should all be looking out for. Really delighted to have her on and honored that she would do this on her last day. Honored, honored. Honored. And and you'll be honored too once you listen to it. Just ignore what Lee and I have to say. Yeah. Listen to her. Listen to her. Okay. So without further ado, let's get to on her last day. Wait, is today her last day? Today is. I, oh. I'm, I'm talking to you, Lee, on her last day. On her last day. Which is Ju- July 31st. 2023, our interview with Claudia Rodriguez, Vice President of Claims at Southern California AAA, Auto Club Enterprises, ACE, whatever you want to call it, uh, the largest AAA in America, Claudia Rodriguez. Hey, everybody, we're here with our super special guest, and that's that's a phrase I don't use often at all, and that's for two reasons. Number one is she is a super special guest. And number two, it's a super special day in her life, career, and uh, and for her company. Because today, we have Claudia Rodriguez, essentially the chief claims officer at Auto Club Enterprises. The, her official title is the vice president of claims at Auto Club Enterprises, also more, more popularly known as Southern California AAA, the largest AAA. Isn't that right? That is right. Claudia? You've got that. And so um, Claudia, because she's awesome, said, well, why don't we do this on my last day of work? (laughs) And isn't that right? Why is this a special day, Claudia? It is my last day after 35 and a half years. Wow, that's amazing. Congratulations. 35 and a half years at Auto Club Enterprises. Congratulations. uh, What's the first thing you're going to do? Start studying for fantasy football. (laughs) <laughs> i'm behind <laughs> okay when's the draft we have to have goals it'll be the uh saturday before labor day okay oh well you better get to work girl yeah i'm late uh-huh so your story is a great story i have the privilege i've known claudia for several years and since before she was in this role and the whole span of time you've been in this role but tell us about your first job at Auto Club Enterprises? My first job at Auto Club Enterprises was claims receptionist in our uh, local small claims branch. That was uh, December 1987, where I failed the typing test, uh, and they <laughs> hired me anyway. <laughs> so why do you think they hired you, even though you failed the typing test? I don't know. You know, if they asked me what my dream job was at the time, when I looked at my high school yearbook, and it said I wanted to be a water girl for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, okay. So- so maybe they knew that it was an easy get, that I could have a career there because there was probably zero chance of me being a water girl for the Dallas Cowboys. So let's take a chance on her. Uh, so so we're already seeing a football theme in your life. Is that fair to say? <laughs> it is very fair to say. If I could have had a career in football, I would have done that, but that didn't work. Let's get this out of the way. For those of you who know Claudia, Claudia, tell us who your team is, your, your number one football team. Football team would be uh, the UCLA Bruins. Okay. She's 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 a Bruin girl. Got Just it. Say what it is. So, by the way, both my parents went to UCLA. Nice. My husband so, did as well. So I bleed kind of that bluish, weird bluish color. Um, <laughs> anyway, so so you're so you get a job that apparently you weren't qualified to have, 
and 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 tell tell us the story. Take us from 1987, kind of run through to up to today. So I was receptionist for about three months, and then they said, "We see something. You might want to be an adjuster. Are you interested in adjusting?" And so I quickly became an inside adjuster and then a field adjuster, where I did both auto physical damage and casualty. Um, and then I became a litigation adjuster and became a manager. So I was a local team manager down in San Diego, came back up to Riverside where I was a team manager there, a regional manager after that. Then I managed our audit department here uh, for claims, got promoted to group manager, uh, which is ultimately where then you would have met me because I was casualty group manager and then became property technical manager. That was the first time we had that role. So I was the first property technical manager. And then um, just over five years ago, I got promoted to vice president. So in that span, SIU, property, casualty, auto physical damage, uh, really just about everything you can do in claims. My goodness. That's remarkable. So how many women had been the vice president of claims, aka chief claims officer at uh, Southern California AAA before you? Zero. I was the first one. And Congratulations! When I the first time I came to uh, auto to to Auto Club, to Ace to to Southern California AAA, all the men wore ties, and this wasn't twenty five or fifty years ago. This was eight years ago, maybe. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Our all, all jeans policy was only probably in effect for maybe four years ago. Three years so ago. everybody on the everybody on this listening to this podcast has to understand they're slow. To adopt. Is that fair to say? It's probably similar for most insurance companies, but yes, I would say that's true. So it was a super big deal for them in their minds. And when I say they, I mean all the men who made the decision. Um, well, I, walk us through that. What That must have been a big deal. I think it was a big deal. And I was actually the first um, homegrown auto club person to become vice president of claims. So I, I broke through two barriers because the others had originated from some other carrier and then ultimately came here as vice president. Um, so both of those, uh, I think, were a big accomplishment, uh, not only for me, but for the organization, having somebody that started here to become vice president of claims. And then, of course, uh, being the first woman. So that was, um, and when I got promoted, I heard from so many people that the the woman piece was a big deal for them, but it's something that really, you know, never hit me, I guess, until everybody said it was a big deal for them. I want you to know what impressed me. I had the I had the privilege of of working with you. I worked with you when we were pitching you basically on a, on a on coming to work in an our company working as a vendor for uh, for Southern Cal. And what impressed me was had nothing to do with your gender. It had to do with your style, and you were honest, straightforward. I'm going to say this, no bullshit. Today's your last day. So I can, I can cuss. And it was like, we knew where you stood and what you wanted. And that was the other thing is that we don't always go into a meeting with a, with a company where they can clearly state, this is what I want and what I'm looking for. These are the important points beyond, we want you to go fast and we want you to be accurate, Right. Um, and you you had all those components. And so when you were promoted, I wasn't surprised at all. We have a pretty clear direction around here about what's expected of us. And so, 
you know, it's easy to be able to explain that to people when they come in. And, you know, with respect to the straightforward style, it's interesting because that's probably one of the most common words I've heard as I'm leaving. Uh, we appreciate your straightforward style. Uh, but I think people appreciate that in general. Um, you know, just tell them, tell them like it is. And I think that some some managers don't want to tell people like it is because they're worried about, you know, offending somebody. But if you say it nicely, it's okay. I also I also like to think about how 35 years ago you started there at the company and you grew to the place that you are now. So many times we hear about individuals who are leaving companies. They don't think that they can get promoted. They don't think that there's a, a, a path to a higher a job. Is there anything, you know, what, I guess, what are your thoughts around that? Was there ever a time that maybe you thought about leaving or did you do anything to help yourself uh, continue to grow in this, in this job? Well, uh, as you may know, I started off as a weed puller at McDonald's. Uh, <laughs> so I didn't ever aspire to be vice president. I didn't ever aspire to be an executive. I didn't ever aspire to be a senior leader. Um, I just took kind of one job at a time. And the advice I give to people is do the job that you're doing, do it well. And if you think you can do that next job above you, then aspire to it. But just kind of take it one step at a time. And and that's what I did. My my family's going to end up with over 300 years at the auto club. Uh, wow. So so leaving here was, was really never um, in my plans. It was a matter of just doing the best I could for the auto club every day. Great. That's so, wonderful. So I don't want to keep going. Uh, well, I guess. I do want to keep going back to that you're a, that you're a woman executive in a in in a traditionally male executive world. Did you have to fight through that, or did you just put your head down and push that to the side? How did how did you deal with that? I never, as far as I know, I didn't have to fight through it. There might be others in the room who thought I was fighting through it, um, but. You know, I've known our CEO for decades. I've been presenting to him on casualty topics for 20 years. So he knew me. I knew most of the executives here just because I'd been involved in so many projects up through the years. So in my mind, I didn't have to fight through it. Although I will tell you, obviously, as I travel around uh, in the industry at different events and, you know, I was on the board at NICB and other places, um, I'm definitely one of the few females in the room. Well, and and des de deservedly so. I I I mean, you and I, all three of us, we go to we go to insurance conferences, and historically they've been mostly male, but but we see that changing quite a bit. I hope so. You know, I mean, it's when I think about somebody mentioned to me the other day. You know, are you going to do any consulting? You know, so much about the industry, and I started thinking to myself, how many women consultants have I seen? Um, not very many. So it'll be interesting to see. Is that the issue? Is there any uh, bias against women? I don't think so. Uh, I think that most of it is probably because there's just been few, so few to come up through the ranks, which is a different issue. Mm -hmm. um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. Mm -hmm. So what is the legacy that you'd like to think that you've left now that today's your last day? Listen to the people. Listen to, you know, I have, obviously I'm going to be giving some remarks this afternoon. Uh, and one of them are listen to your coworkers. Uh, it doesn't matter what direction that coworker is in, up, down, across, diagonal. Um, you know, you really can't fix anything until you understand it. And you can't understand it without knowing what's happening on the front lines. And, you know, I taught a class 
for about a decade here, ended up teaching hundreds of people, and it was through the Institute's was called um, Associate Insurance Services, AIS 25. And that class really taught you how to improve processes, particularly in an insurance environment. And I taught that class for so long that improving processes just kind of became second nature to me. Um, and so I think that's part of what got me here. Mm -hmm. What will you miss? I mean, that's it's a little premature to ask that because you won't, don't know till you get there. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, I definitely will miss the people. Um, and Rob, I know, you know, several of my team members. Um, and that's another thing I'll be talking about this afternoon to have, you know, I think it's 18 of us all coming to work every day, trying to make things better every day with a passion. And then we all like to be around one another. We've gone hikes together, walking on the beach. Uh, and we just like each other. And so, you know, how rare is that to find 18 people, right? Some people can't get their two kids to agree uh, that there's right. 18 people uh, that all have the same common goal, who all enjoy being around each other. Uh, I'm definitely going to miss them the most. There's no question about it. And the claims people we have here, uh, employees management are just, you know, just top notch. They, they care about what they're doing. They care about our members. They care about their craft. They care about wanting to be the best technician. Um, and in today's environment, if you can get, you know, the service and severity balance right, you're going to be in good shape. Well, I want to talk some about the business and where it's at, and um, not just not just Ace, but but on an industry level. I want I want to go there in a minute. Tell us what accomplishment means the most to you, looking back over over your time. That's a great question. That's one of the ones I have to answer this afternoon. Of course, they were able to give me, I think I got five. You're only giving me one. Um, I, I guess probably. Yeah, you can take two. We'll give okay. you two. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and one of them ties into the social inflation. So we'll save that for later. Uh, but we did this thing about a decade ago called Strike Force. And we had gotten a new operating system. So the tech folks on the line can appreciate that. Uh, we didn't do a very good job of training our new Guidewire Claim Center systems. That wasn't Guidewire's fault. That was our fault. Uh, and our results started tanking. And we decided we could all sit here at the ivory tower and try to figure out what to do, or we could go out and start talking to people. And we literally met, the, myself and four others of us met hundreds of people. And it really came down to we didn't train them enough on the new system. And then with that, we were able to get new ideas and feedback from them. And we just changed so many things. We brought along people who had great ideas. And by the end of the day, we had about 40 or so uh, claims employees in this truck with us. And ultimately, the results turned around. And, and at the end of the day, I'll, I'll try to give that group credit. Uh, we won the J.D. Power Award uh, in the auto claims study the next year. Uh, wow. Because, again, we already have the people. We, we just need to give them the, the tools they need to get the job right. Mm -hmm. It sounds like listening is really a cornerstone of, of, of your of your of your way of doing things. Yeah, I mean, if I go back to the AIS twenty five theory, you need to know your process and your capabilities, right? And and listening to the customer. So, what does the customer want? You have a process that can deliver that, and then what are your capabilities? You know, if I take our property claims example, uh, I asked people to write estimates, but realized that they didn't know how to write estimates. That was a pretty big. Um, a strike on my part, uh, but that was a, an important lesson for me to learn. What is the process capable of before you put in 
some new, um, you know, new way of doing things. So it's great lessons for sure. So let's talk about the business. Um, it's changed a little since 1980, years. Since 1987. Is that fair yeah. to say? Yeah. Uh, touch tone phone, no analytics, you know, teletypes, no email. Um, I had nothing really, right? I mean, I had people standing yeah. in front of me to report claims. Nothing could be done uh, really electronically. So, yeah, you were there before InsureTech was a thing. And I'm just sitting here trying to, to say, you know, thinking, are we better off today than we were 35 years ago in claims? What do you say to that? I think I think overall the answer is yes. I think things are different, right? I mean, so it's, it's better for a member to be able to use, uh, say, a digital experience, uh, depending on the stage of the claim. Uh, things took longer for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, just sending somebody a message, right? Or sending somebody a piece of mail or communicating. Um, there are certainly downsides to the tech piece of it. I mean, you have to have people that want technology. You have to have the right technology. You have to have a good technology that works, you know, for the company and the employee um, and the member. Um, but I think on balance, I would say, yes, it's, just, it's different. Uh, I mean, a claim is a claim. It <laughs> right. doesn't matter if it was 35 years ago or today, uh, how two cars come together are largely the same and they need to get their car fixed and they need an estimate or if right. they're hurt, you know, the adjustment process from a people side is, is for the most part, I think, pretty much the same. Isn't it, isn't it also true that people's expectations have changed in the past 35 years with the adopt, you know, with the adoption of mobile phones and texting and uh, quick service? I, I think, has that been a big part of your job, adjusting to people's expectations? Yeah, and I think that from an expectation standpoint, they've got exponentially higher just in the last four or five years. Agreed. Um, Agreed. And just people's approach to everything, you know, has changed over the last five years. But I think that, um, you know, here the expectations have been so high on delivering those basics of claims handling. Uh, it's getting more challenging when it's, you know, six-month backlog for your catalytic converter. Um, but yes, I think at the end of the day, the blocking and tackling is about the same, uh, and then using the, you know, the tech piece to enhance it. So one of the things that you and I have talked about previously is the issue of social inflation. Um, and I have to thank you because you've really, you really kind of opened this up, up for me and, uh, and helped, helped us, our organization to even get start to talk about it uh, of which we do now on a regular basis. So can let's let's take a minute and let you introduce what's social for those people who aren't familiar with it and why it uh, matters to the insurance industry. Yeah, so social inflation uh, at, at easy, I'll try to start way high level because I think there's still a lot of people who don't understand the components of it. But at a high level, it would be inflation other than economic inflation. And so when you're um, talking about social inflation in the insurance industry, you're talking about things like large verdicts, you know, attorney involvement in claims, things that aren't necessarily economic but do have an impact on how claims are resolved and the cost to resolve those claims and the people involved in resolving those claims. So there's the multiple components of it. And really, again, it's non-economic inflation on the insurance side. And, and, and like, give me an, give me an example, something tangible. I understand that like an auto part used to cost $10. Now it's $25 that I get, but what, 
give us an example. I will. And, and, and that you mentioning that example of an auto part shows the difference between economic inflation and social inflation. On the auto repair side, although there are significant inflationary pressures, we can at least measure those and have some understanding of what's coming in the future. If you take a casualty file or a commercial uh, or a personal and you get start getting high verdicts, which we are definitely getting, um, and whether it's, again, on the commercial side or the personal side. So when I say we, I'm not just talking about the auto club. I see verdicts for other carriers as well. Uh, then you begin to consider to handle claims differently because you don't want to have a $3 million verdict. And so, you know, you may start paying more on claims to avoid the $3 million verdict. And so that's one example of where your claims costs can increase simply because of what's happening in society. You know, and part of that is people wanting to push back on companies, push back on large businesses. Uh, There's an entire strategy specifically on the plaintiff's bar um, to to go after the carriers. Um, It's really not about the defendants anymore. It's about a specific strategy to go after the carriers themselves, at least certainly on the personal side. Because that's where the money is, and so that's a that's an, an an avenue of success for the legal community. And I'm going to start getting into some uh, perhaps complicated detail, but let's just take third party uh, litigation funding. Okay, so if I go back to, and this is one of the things that's changed when when Lee asked about what's changed. So if I go back to when I was a field adjuster or a litigation adjuster, it was in the interest of both sides to settle the claim. Right. And you, you guys know the old adage, uh, the older the claim gets, the more it costs. Uh, that, that is never more uh, apparent than today. But if you go back, you know, 20 years, I'll just pick 20 years as, as a marker. Uh, it was in the interest of us to try to settle it because we knew it would get more expensive. It was in the interest of the claimant to settle for a reasonable price because they knew how much money they could get and because they didn't have any money coming in. Uh, now litigation funding has changed that where they can get a loan to get them by until the trial comes. And so they have less of an incentive to settle the claim uh, so they can hold out till the end. And now attorneys are getting more and more resources to put into the litigation process and they've got new tactics for pre-trial and during the trial. So all of those things, plus a whole bunch of others uh, are making us look at um, claims differently, which in my mind is social inflation. I mean, I understand that there's actually companies that that's what they do is they is they work with the different parties to fund litigation uh, for a piece of the return when, when it comes. Is is that correct? Do I have that right? Yeah, I mean, at a high level, yes. And I think that you know, sixty minutes just had a third-party litigation funding episode uh, week before last, uh, from the day that we're recording this. Um, and I think that there's different components to what they can fund, but just the fact that they're out there—it's a non-recourse loan most of the time, and it's not regulated, and it's not in most states required to be divulged. So these litigation funders can come in, and really, what they're doing is they're speculating on injury claims or whatever other kind of it might be a you know a business claim or something I'll just stick with PI for a second uh, they they are then betting on the outcome of a personal injury trial wow wow that's that's fascinating you said you said that was on 60 minutes 
Mm-hmm. Wow. I'm going to have to go back and check that one. Is, uh, is, is social inflation making its way back to the underwriters to appropriately price policies? Are we seeing that data being pushed back in that ultimately will cause higher premiums? Well, it's, it's a great question, Lee, because I think this is kind of what my passion has been recently, and I haven't been able to make uh, breakthroughs, is I, I think the industry doesn't understand it as much as they should mm-hmm. understand it. And the other piece of it is there's an unknown. What is the difference going to be? So to Rob's comparison on the auto part, if you want to guess that you're going to bake in, you know, 7% inflation in auto parts, you, you can do that if you want to. And there's smart people out there to guess what that'll be. You don't have any idea what the impact of inflation is going to be when you come from a social inflation perspective, uh, because it could change and it will continue to change. The, the plaintiff's bar is well organized and helps one another and talks to one another. That's the opposite of the insurance industry. Um, and I'm trying to get us to get together in a room you know, to try to talk about it because they need to understand it before they can, back to my earlier point, you need to understand what's happening before you can change something. When, when we're hearing about the kinds of combined ratios that are out there, in fact, literally today, the combined ratios are, in, are too, way too high. Right. They're unsustainable. How much influence does social inflation have in that? I'm not looking for a number, but in general, is that a big part of the problem that, that they're up against? Or is it more that auto parts just cost more? Cars are more automated, therefore more expensive to repair. Uh, houses are more complex, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We've got a couple of problems right now uh, in the system, right? One is we haven't been, we don't have enough rate. It uh, doesn't matter where you are. So everybody is taking rate. Um, and so certainly when we get the rate piece closer, uh, that will help. But I do think that um, we just need to have a better eye on, on this social inflation piece because what I see down the road when I look without tort reform, uh, and Florida actually had some great tort reform, but when you're thinking about a casualty claim, which is something to me that a lot of people don't appreciate enough, I can make a change today in the way I handle casualty claims. I may not feel the impact of that change for months or years because it takes so long, you know, the lifespan of a casualty claim so different from auto physical damage, which, you know, turns around in 17 days. We can make a change tomorrow on what, what we want to do with parts and I'll know in about a month at the beginnings of how that's going. Uh, I think that's the other challenge with the social inflation piece is that casualty change takes a long time to realize. And so you've got a combination of us not doing enough, taking a long time for it to be realized and not knowing what the impact will be. And I think that, um, I think it's going to be significant. So what kind of remedies do you talk about when you get together with your peers or do you think about to, to start to make changes here? One of the things you, you said that struck me was, is that, you know, the plaintiff bar talks to each other, right? They talk about strategy. Here's the, here's what's working for me. And, and the insurance industry generally doesn't. We're so uh, concerned about antitrust. What are your thoughts there? I think that, you know, and particularly this being the InsurTech podcast, we need more analytics. There is enough public information available for us to use. 
whether it's verdicts, experts, parties involved, what are the trends, who are the attorneys, who is one attorney selling their cases to, um, I think there's definitely a place for InsureTech to help us. I have not heard anybody making substantial moves. I've talked to a couple of um, of metrics uh, vendors, and I think that they're trying, and I've tried to help them with what they're building. Um, but I think it's it's got a ways to go. And again, that the longer we wait as an industry to make change, the worse it is going to get. I'm going to give you this example. We actually have a trial going on in San Diego right now where the plaintiff attorney wanted to be able to live stream the trial to train other attorneys on how to try cases. They want to post wow. on social media. Th those are just issues that we've never had to deal with before. So not only are you and I or the three of us talking about trying to change things next month or next year, they're trying every day together, you know, to get the highest verdicts possible. Sounds kind of discouraging. I mean, you know, when I told my bosses um, late last year that this would probably be my last year, I mean, frankly, it's things like this that were part of the problem because if I if I don't see anybody helping one another to do things on the other end, it's not like I want to jump ship. That's why I say, hey, I'll, I'll stay all of next year. I had to move that up for other reasons. But we just don't like to talk to one another. Um, there's definitely ways for us to discuss things w without any antitrust considerations. We could have attorneys in the room. You know, we can talk about data. We can talk about public data. You know, NICB is out there. Um, you know, we've got questionable claims databases. You know, we're, we're using the same databases to get information for the most part. But how are we going to use that data to combat things? And then I just wasn't seeing a lot of progress being made. You know, you should be consulting in the insure tech space with some of these analytic companies. Because yeah, that'd be nice. I think that I think you're absolutely on to something there. And, and we invite any of our listeners who are involved in this. To, to reach out and, and, and talk with us about it. We're glad to have them on, or even the both of you on, because you got to do something, right? Yeah. I mean, even if you're talking about the, the litigation funding, which is a big part of this problem, yeah. if it's not required to be disclosed, then, and so think about how long it takes legislation. So we, we just want to know it exists. We want to know who the parties are and that it exists. And we don't even know that. So let's pretend that uh, legislators start talking this year about disclosure laws. <laughs> well, they've got to agree on the law. That's a problem. Uh, they've got to pass the law. The law has to become enacted and then has to go into effect. So again, all of these changes that we're talking about on the casualty side, even if we started tomorrow, aren't going to have an impact for a long time. Right, right. And then you get, you know, there's a whole variety of states because this is a this is a state by state problem, right? Like yeah. for you, for your org, is it a worse, is it a, a, a tougher problem in some states versus others? No, no question. All right. I mean, obviously legislatures have different bents and, you know, where are the plaintiff's attorneys, the consumer attorneys uh, putting their money? And there are certainly states that are more challenging than others for sure. And then in some states where they don't even meet every year, right? I mean, Texas meets every other year. So we could decide depending on the cycle that you're in, you could be waiting a while, even if they had the best intentions. Mm -hmm. I mean, your largest PIF is in California. You're one of the largest insurers in California. I'll just throw California out. I got to think that California is a particular problem. California is a particular problem. A matter of fact, they they tried this year, and I don't know where it finally ended or if it's ended yet. But 
Um, I actually tried to help uh, the trades put some language together because they wanted to get through a third-party litigation uh, bill. And in my, uh, I guess, quasi-expert humble opinion, they were trying to bite off more than they could chew. And by the time it got through the process uh, and the other side had gotten uh, their feedback, it actually was, it could, it could be worse than what it started out to be um, with the disclosure laws. Um, so it, it's tough because you need to have somebody who knows the nuts and bolts in the discussion at the formation of the conversation. So it's, it's almost like, I'll give you a good example, like the catalytic converter laws. You know, every legislature wanted to put something through to say, we're, we hear you, we're helping you. We know catalytic converters are a problem. Uh, but until you actually can go after the bad guys, it's going to be hard to stop it. Or until the value of the metals come down, uh, you can pass laws, but we've still got a catalytic converter problem. Um, and so they're very, very complex problems. And I know that for the most part, I'm sure everybody gets up wanting to do the right thing and trying to help. Uh, but you need to be, you need to have the expertise in, in your, in the area you're trying to improve back to understanding the processes again, when you're trying to make something better. It doesn't matter if you're a claims manager or a congressman. So first of all, thank you for this very important uh, conversation. Uh, we, we'd absolutely like to continue it and, and we're going to give you a chance to um, put your feet up for a minute and maybe have a cold one and maybe take a deep breath and maybe watch some football, certainly have your draft, but we're going to get you back on. And uh, Lee, I think we should do like a panel and approach this from a couple of different directions. It'd be very interesting to have somebody from the legal, a legitimate representative from the legal community on Agreed. as well to, uh, to discuss this issue. But I also want to be sensitive of your time today. It's your last day. It is my last day. It's pretty crazy. How's that crazy. feel? I don't know yet. You know, I was working till about 10 o'clock last night, um, you know, finishing, putting the finishing touches on things. I've got our quarterly reserve meeting, which I love going to, which people think I'm crazy uh, at 10 o'clock here at about a half an hour. And then after that, it's a cake reception, all the families coming down. And I think there'll be quite a few auto club people here to say goodbye to. So it's, it hasn't hit yet tomorrow, maybe when I can actually do laundry on a Tuesday, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, Maybe it'll start hitting me. It'll probably take a while. I Yeah, I think that you have a lot of uh, unpacking to do. Right? Yeah, you do. Mentally and physically. <laughs> Mentally and physically. I, I, I'm sure of it. Uh, I, I know from my own experience. So before we go, share with us your wisdom from your career to to those people who are out there like, like Lee and others that are in the middle of it, that are going to wake up tomorrow and 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 fight the fight and 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 do battle and and you know try to ascend either intentionally or unintentionally try to work their way up the ladder give us give us a few words to to think about yeah i think just slowing down and taking the time to understand the detail no matter again which problem it is that you're trying to solve whether it's social inflation or you know how do you combat uh, auto parts price increases uh, Really, to me, it's getting into the details, understanding the business, whether it's your actual process or line of business, and then studying. And that's one of the things, you know, that I've done certainly over the last few years with, you know, just crazy results. Worst year ever for the PNC industry last year. I, I spend just an ungodly amount of hours 
reading about whether it's uh, economic inflation, social inflation, what's happening, used car prices, and and really dedicating yourself to your craft, uh, because I think the more informed you are, the better off you're going to be able to be to help. Well, you are a, an amazing role model to everybody that you've worked with, and even people on the other side of the negotiation table from you have nothing but tremendous respect and admiration. And above all, I consider you a friend, and, and that's been wonderful. Thank Thanks. you, Rob and Lee, both. I appreciate it. I appreciate the time and, and perhaps we can help make a difference together. And just to show you how crazy Claudia Rodriguez is, what we ran into some trouble with, uh, with our timing of the podcast of re- this recording. So she offered to do it on her last day. The top person in claims at a multi-billion dollar company, she's recording this the morning of her last day. You're amazing. It's one last thing in this crazy story that I have. So it's th- thank you for adding a final chapter. It's an honor. Thank you. It's an honor. Thank you for being with us. And we'll talk again soon. That We're not great. letting you off the hook. Okay, good. <laughs> thank you. How cool was that, that somebody gives us time on their last days? Most senior executive in claims at Auto Club Enterprises multi-billion dollar company, largest AAA in the United States, um, covers 20-some states. Claudia was in charge of the entire claims operation, and she gave us uh, time on her last day. What a great way to end, I think, is to be able to spend 30, 40 minutes just to kind of talk about her journey, talk about what she's passionate about, to talk about things. What a great way to really you know, book in that career and very appreciative of, of Claudia being on and, and couldn't thank her enough for taking time to speak with us today. Yeah. And wish her absolutely all the best. Um, and we wish all you, our listeners, the best. So until next time, we'll say goodbye, everybody.